The Late Debate with Katie Hannon on RTE Radio 1. Once again, we've been making a list and checking it twice. Tonight, our esteemed panel of hacks and anoraks will debate who's been naughty and who's been nice. It's the Late Debate Political Awards, where we'll be handing out gongs for the most outrageous leaks, the splashiest scoops, the shiniest brass neck, the most mortifying gaffes and the most shameless cronyism. So stay with us for the Late Debate 2021 Political Awards Special. And if you're not watching this on news now, I need to tell you that thanks to our brilliant broadcasting coordinator, Elaine, the studio is all merry and bright and I am wearing the closest thing I have to a festive jumper. Uh, for one night only, we are muting all talk of the Omicron variant and whatever other letters of the Greek alphabet are heading our way as we settle in for some festive filleting of the political year. And here to do just that, we have Head Judge, the Right Honourable Michael O'Regan, Parliamentary Correspondent Emeritus, and uh, all about Man About Town. Uh, We have Journalist of the Year, the precocious Paul Hosford of the Irish Examiner. We have Kate O'Connell, Fine Gaelor, pharmacist, formerly a TD, currently a one-woman mass vaccination centre. You know, you did bring in that stash of uh, booster shots, did you, Kate? Right, Okay. Grant Grant will talk about that later. She gives all her booster shots to Leo. (laughs) Needs them. (laughs) On our remote jury down the hall, we have the wonderfully waspish Philip Ryan, political editor with the Irish Independent, and Christina Take No Prisoners Finn, political <laughs> correspondent with the journal.ie. And we want to hear from you as well. What do you think of our award choices? Whip out your phones and get in touch. Test, text us on 51551, email us on late or tweet to at late and maybe use a hashtag tonight. Hashtag late gongs might do it. OK, let's get right to it now and uh, get our first nominations in. And let's go first to the political newcomer of the year. Um, Michael, political newcomer of the year, who are you nominating? Yes, uh, some very good young TDs there. I chose Claire Curran, the Sinn Féin TD for uh, Roscommon Galway, uh, who's quite impressive. Uh, stood in yesterday morning, actually, on leaders' questions for Sinn Féin and did very well. Uh, a new breed of TD, new breed in Sinn Féin as well. No great background in the party and all that. And competent speaker... And I think a young TD to watch. OK, OK. Uh, Paul, you you thought Claire Curran uh, also deserved a nomination. Yeah, Katie, it was kind of a strange one in terms of newcomer of the year because, you know, there hasn't really been somebody arriving on the scene this year. But a lot of first-time TDs uh, kind of made that breakthrough because of last year was, was a very odd doll sitting from, from June to December. It was a very very kind of strange time to, to be a first-time TD and a lot of TDs kind of have relayed that to me that it was very hard to make your name because, you know, you didn't know if you were coming or going and the only show in town was COVID. Claire Curran is, there, is the Sinn Féin spokesperson for social protection, which is a massive and very detail-oriented portfolio. And it obviously took her a couple of months. And if you've, if you've dealt with her at all, she's, she can be quite... She can come across very quiet or, or very reserved. Her command of detail, particularly towards the end of the year, she, she did this um, survey of on the cost of living increases and managed to kind of make it into this really weighty and, um, I suppose... I suppose, well-researched piece of work uh, and just showed that she's very in command of the detail of this huge, huge portfolio. Okay, and you thought Duncan Smith deserved a shout as well? Absolutely. Another TD who probably had a a bit of a quieter couple of months getting used to the the lay of the land in... in, uh, 
in what was, I suppose, the convention centre previously and then Leinster House. Um, and this year has really excelled. Uh, very good speaker in the doll, very good on all of the portfolios that he that he has to manage. And a, a, I suppose a really good face for Labour in in Dublin Fingal. In Dublin, indeed, yeah, in Dublin Fingal. Um, Kate... Yeah, you have uh, an, uh, an interesting choice there. Yes, I'm going to go with Norma Foley because I have three children in primary school <laughs> and she kept schools open. And I do think um, she started off into a very difficult brief um, at the start of COVID um, as a new TD. Um, but I do think um, we have to credit her with keeping the schools open, now, I know holding before, firm. Before my screen lights up, I know I'm going to get texts in now saying teachers kept the schools open. Well, Kate. absolutely. And I know and everybody working together. But in terms of the person at the, at the helm, I think the importance of education and that importance of keeping children in a regular um, setup, um, I think it'll stand to her in the future. And I really do think she's done a great job this year. Um, when everyone likes to tell her what to do, she seems to always do what she wants herself, which um, I'm sure maybe it'll go down well for her, hopefully. <laughs> uh, out to our remote jury then, uh, Christina. Yeah, I had Claire Cran down as well, but um, seeing as somebody else has nominated her, I think maybe Ivana Bacic is probably the most um, newest member of, of the Doll Singers. She's been um, elected there in the by-election in, in Dublin Bay South. Um, you know, Labour hasn't been polling very well in the last number of years, so for those five minutes, I suppose they they got a shot at the at the headlines and um, were kind of put back front and center. And yeah, she's been obviously she's not a newcomer to politics by any means in terms of her political career, but yeah, probably the newest member so far. So Ivana gets your... worthy of a shout. Okay, and Philip. Um, yeah, there's a few out there. Like I, I take the point on uh, Duncan Smith. Uh, I think Gary Gannon has been impressive as well. But the the person I would like to nominate has actually been in the Doyle almost as long as I've been alive. And that's uh, Bernard Durkin, who, who is not new to the Doyle in any shape or form, but he's probably new to the public consciousness. And as far as TDs who have made an impact in this Doyle, um, you know, setting aside uh, nice speeches by uh, Duncan Smith or uh, Claire Coran and things like that, and, and well done to them. But like the man has changed the lotto. The, ma- the man in, in the matter of a few weeks has changed how the biggest gambling uh, institution in the country is operated. So while he's not the newest member of the Doyle and far from it, he's probably new in a lot of people's uh, minds in, in the last couple of months and his impact has been enormous. And he also released the best press release of the entire year. So if, the, if that gong is going, Bernard Durkin wins it hands down. <laughs> but as far as impact he's a great, goes, he's a great I think, example as yeah. well that you can become an overnight success after about 40 years. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. He's, so, he's, he's the great survivor of Irish politics. He's um, in the office since 1982. I think, I think it's 81 because he I think well, he won he the lost. Shannon yeah. first yeah. I think yeah. the year after I was born I'm not as I'm older than you think my... <laughs> <laughs> me too me too Philip same year uh, okay um, Michael uh, call it for us so we have a number of nominations for Claire Curran Norma Foley gets a shout in there Duncan Smith is a shout in there and then we have uh, Renee Sansman Bernard Durkin yeah so two for Claire Curran so she she wins she wins out Okay, Bernard, once again. Bernard. Yeah. Also, nearly there, nearly, nearly there, there, Bernard. Experience okay. means nothing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next one, of course. This was the political year of the leak, if ever uh, there was one. And uh, just have a quick listen now. This is something our researcher, Andrew, put together for us. Listen. Do you want to 
Survivors have expressed shock and upset at the leaking of the report following a guarantee they would see it first. Who leaked the report? Was it strategy by the government? How did it happen? And who was given copies of it? I only know what is general knowledge. So I think if anybody has um, evidence, then it is Fine Gael and they should share it. Uh, what was said in my view was a misuse of dual privilege and I want the record of this house to show that it's untrue. What is going on as regards communications with Neffet? Don't want to use the phrase gag, but that seems to be what it is. You're part of a government that's notoriously leaky and I'm not going to go into your own issues as it's subject to a criminal investigation. Yes, indeed. This is the Colander Girl, our Boy of the Year award. Um, Michael, who's your leaker of the year? I think Zapongate wins it. It, it. it dominated August. Uh, the all went on the recess. It was meant to be a quiet time. You know, they could go to the beaches. Uh, they could communicate with each other at a safe distance, wear their masks, all that kind of thing. And then Zapone Gate just came from nowhere. And uh, the party in the Marion Hotel, the fallout, the uh, appointment of Catherine Zapone as a UN envoy, uh, it, it convulsed the political system uh, at a quiet time of year. So I think that was the big league. Paul? Yeah, I, I'd have to agree. Uh, you, I, I remember it was the last uh, cabinet meeting before the recess. We were heading into, we were supposed to have a quiet August. Everything was supposed to cool down. And, and, my, and my my boss, Danny McConnell, tweet, tweeted that Catherine's opponent had been appointed or was put forward for appointment as, as a UN special envoy. And then from there... Everything went went out and, and August just ended up being busier than last year. Uh, Philip, it's all your fault. <laughs> uh, no, look, but I, I refuse to engage in this category because I don't want to victimise or uh, stigmatise people who are brave enough to leak to the media. Who leaked it to you, Philip? Who leaked it to people Philip, who leaked it to So it's like we shouldn't be on here as journalists uh, talking about who's the worst league and who's this, that and the other. Everybody or anyone who is prepared to leak and is where in a lot of times, you know, risking their own career, career or otherwise, they should be celebrated. And we should, um, we well, can't say who they are, of course, but uh, anyone out there who wants to leak, it's <laughs> philip.ryan at independent.ie. <laughs> Christina. Um, yeah, I kind of put down the uh, the leaks from the parliamentary party meeting and the because way they, they have, to be fair, entertained us to no end in a very tough year. Yeah, and I I, I just think it's really funny the way um, you know the parliamentary party and and the the le- party leaders they they seem to act like they have the third secret of Fatima in these in these meetings and God forbid that some utterance comes out um, from these top secret. Illuminati meetings that they sort of act like that that they are when you know and they're even asking politicians to take their phones out and put them under the table or put them in boxes as they come into the room as as if you know the the, the, the politicians themselves you know they like to make their voices known um a lot of them I think like that it's being leaked when they start banging their ta- their hands on the table and they seem to act like leaks have never happened before from the parliamentary party meeting I'm sure They've happened for for decades, 
and um, I just think that's one for a shout out. Um, it does keep us, um, you know, Paul Cores up late at night, uh, trying to get as much information as you can and keeping the masses entertained. But yeah, a lot of them, they can have interesting con- contributions. But I'd put that one, I think, as uh, the top leakers. The one of the yeah, yeah, Philip. Sorry, oh, sorry was, Paul. One of the great moments of every week is the tweet that comes out about at a you know at ex or at ex parliamentary party meeting, the leader, be it Leo Riker or, or Michal Martin, hit out at leaks or said that it's not helpful that these things are being leaked and you know we're being live streamed these things where people are giving out about leaks as it's being live streamed. It, it, it's a great watching of a Wednesday evening. Indeed, every Wednesday without fail now. It's actually Kate. it's actually probably better watching than sitting in there. Um, <laughs> you'd always nearly find out more even though you're sitting in the room you'd nearly find out more from Twitter. If you, if you dozed off for a while yeah. you could just <laughs> catch up on live updates. I think, I think Marion Gate though has to be kind of the big yeah. thing of the year. And it, for, for those of us that holiday in August, it was great with our you know, addiction to politics. So it gave you 24-7 political yes. madness. And the idea, I think, that it was... They tried to put it to bed so many times. They, they t- tried to quash it and people just weren't having any of it. And that was sort of the beauty of it, looking at it from the outside, that it just kept going. And... Um, it ended up where it ended up, but it just—it it had such life in it, it as had, a story. It went on. The, uh, on the leaks from the parliamentary parties, a uh, member of the Fianna Fáil parliamentary party asked me one day, "Who, if I can't attend the meeting, who's the best journalist to ring to find out what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> I hope you took great umbrage of that, that you weren't considered the best journalist uh, with the, all the information, the inside track. I think that was kind of a, a, a plot to try to find out who the leakers were as well, though, what it sounds like. <laughs> um, Michael, who are we going to give that one to well, then? Well, uh, two votes there for Zapone Gate, so the Marion Hotel fiasco wins, I think. Well, I think the Marion uh, Hotel Gate or Zapone Gate uh, fiasco um, is going to feature quite a lot because our next category was cronyism of the year. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and everybody uh, has gone for Zapone and Zapone Gate and uh, the fallout from that. But there were other nominees. I mean, mm-hmm. Eamon Ryan was accused of cronyism uh, in recent months mm-hmm. there because of those appointments of... of uh, party members and people who had stood for the party to the uh, climate advisory body. Yeah, I'm always amused by people's surprise when political parties who are the essence of purity in opposition and, uh, you know, are above reproach and then they get into government and they decide that their own has to get the spoils of office. Wait for Sinn Féin to do it. Uh, And, of course, Eamon decided... They're very, very well qualified, but why have a competition? So, you know, any, anybody now looking at the opposition benches, right across the vast span of the opposition benches, and think that those complaining about the present government will be any different in government, uh, should think again. The late Con Hulhan famously said that political promises were as authentic as speeches made at a wedding breakfast. Uh, voters should bear that in mind, I think. Uh, yeah, Kate, uh, as you said, um, Zapone Gate obviously was was a big one there. Sinn Féin as well, though, came in for mm-hmm. because they yep. were obviously, uh, you know, shouting about the cronyism, as you would, as as the main opposition party in relation to the, the, the Zapone Gate issue. But obviously it was there was some brickbats thrown back across the 
Dolph. Yeah, the, the appointments to the Northern Ireland boards. But I think in the case of Zaponegate, it got so big that nearly no matter what anybody else did or whoever they appointed, it nearly didn't matter. Because at that stage, I think the public were going, you're trying to pull the wool over our eyes, so go away with your other stories. I think, you know, there was that focus on it and we're, we're not taking our eyes off the prize here. So although the other stories were probably as much weight in them, if you were to pull it back, it just didn't have the je ne sais quoi of a party in the Merriam when the rest of us were going around covered in sanitizers and masks and having and a also, terrible time. I, I think it was the way it was handled initially. <coughs> mm. Simon Coveney's uh, car crash interview with Brian Dobson, where not alone did he staunchly defend it, the appointment, this is the appointment, but he... Um, he more or less questions RTE's editorial and judgment. And in making, he used, in, didn't he make, make the first utterance of the making up a job? And that was that that interview? Yes. So, I mean, and, you know, yeah, actually uh, calling it what people yeah, were quite, saying in their yeah. own heads it was didn't help. I think he, he backed down was for the, eventually, the, but that was a, a bad problem. start. It was mm. going to run and run once that interview was given. Yeah, yeah, Philip. So, yeah, no, I think a big problem with that whole um, episode was that they didn't seem to get it themselves. Mm. Yeah that they didn't see it themselves. They didn't yeah. see why it could be an issue or, or why their reaction to it was an issue. It, it was that. It was kind of just that the Fine Gael top brass were completely tone deaf. And, you know, obviously Fianna Fáil and the T-shirt gave them a free pass thinking, look, they'll, they'll get out of this one. But they they just argued themselves into a, a bigger controversy than it probably needed to be in the first instance. Yeah, it was, uh, Paul, really this year's golf gate, wasn't it? This uh, summer's golf gate. Oh, so. absolutely. And, and one of the things, and Philip has touched on it there, is, is that... The government really talked themselves into a corner on this a couple of days after the the Taoiseach was out and said, you know, the the quote was, we move on here. Like he kind of told the public, look, this this is nothing to see. We move on. And and the thing about it is that it had everything really, um, because if it had just been another Dublin hotel... I don't think people would have latched on as much and because it's, it's the Merrion, it's got the that wine bar. privilege. The wine, the wine, the, 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 the wine bar. The gate pink doesn't have the same ring, does it? <laughs> no, it doesn't really. But then everything just kind of flowed out. <clears throat> the, the day, the, day the, you know, the department made this decision that anything that was FOI would, would all be released, that was brought forward ahead of Simon Coveney's appearance at the, the Foreign Affairs Committee. And I remember the day that that came out, I, I doubt any release of documents from a government department has ever been as eagerly anticipated um, from member, regular members of the public. Uh, everyone was trawling over it. The texts were just a great visual representation of, of, the, of the whole story. I can't remember another story, actually, where, where texts were so, yeah. you know, <sighs> integral and so, so, so uh, that added so much to the story. Yeah, when you look back on it now, it, like the, the, as a story, it just had everything, uh, you know, came at a time when there wasn't a whole lot else going on and, and was just just perfect uh, kind of summer lull, but also quite serious story uh, to, to fill that for, you know, it went on until, you know, until we went to, to until yeah. a group of journalists sat and the Taoiseach went to New York in, in September, it was still going, you know, we, we all took turns camped outside Catherine Zappone's apartment trying to get get a word with her. So, you know, it, it went for six or eight weeks. Indeed, yeah. Yeah, it was. It was the story of the year indeed. Um, OK, uh, well, well, there's no need to say there. We know we know what the cronyism of the year uh, gone goes to. Uh, it's for Zappone Gate. Diss of the year. Now, who did the best dissing of uh, of another this year? Um I'll go to you. I'll go to the outside jury for this one first. Um Philip, um, 
I, I'd the the one I would go with is not necessarily the the diss of the year, as in that it was the the, the disser. Is that how? You, is that the I don't know. <laughs> see, maybe the, the disser was uh, uh, Professor Philip Nolan, who had this extraordinary pop at little and their <laughs> antigen tests of all people to pick on. And he came out with this attack um, calling antigen tests provided by Little. He, it was a quote tweet of a tweet um, saying that these things were snake oil and, and you know, must be avoided, etc. And now it, the entire government policy was changed uh, a few months later based around the price of the same antigen test, that, they, that Little could provide these tests cheaper. So it's this of the year in, in, in the fact that it's, it's something that has come back um, to bite um, Mr. Nolan, Professor Nolan, on the ass, I think in a little, in a bit of a sense, and I, th- I think he was actually out there recently um, on Morning Ireland, and he said that it wasn't his best tweet ever. But it was, it was one of those ones where it came out like to, to give something a kick, but I don't think it really worked out the, the way. Yeah, it was I think to. he probably regretted that case himself. I have it here in, in my hand actually, just <clears> to, to say it was Little Ireland had tweeted um, a weekend super servers, uh, super savers and pick up a pound of sausages, charcoal and um, for the barbecue an antigen test for 31 euro. It was like a a package uh, server and Philip Nolan tweeted um, that and said, can I get some snake oil with that? It makes for a great salad dressing with a pinch of salt and something acerbic. Stay safe when socialising outdoors the next few weeks. still makes you actually take, like, I'm still flabbergasted actually when you when you hear the con- like the yeah. context and the fact that what little were actually ahead of the government in terms of uh, of our public health policy. Um, for me, I definitely think that's, that I agree with Philip on that one. I think, um, I, I, I just think when you look back, it kind of, it, it, it just, makes it so obvious why we're so behind in terms of antigen testing when we had tweets like that doing the rounds um, this year. Kate, you you also called it for that one. Yeah, I mean, probably in a slightly different way. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I'm not on his side on this one, Philip Nolan. I think it was rather unfortunate wording. But um, I would argue that maybe in time he'll probably be proven right. And I'd say as somebody who does the modelling and is at the top of his game and he's actually doing the real research as opposed to the rest of us trying to do our own research, um, it was probably, in my view, rooted in science and um, proper thought process. Um, But it just didn't go down well. And... I suppose if I was him, I'd probably be going, well, if it was that easy, if it was easy, that easy to sort out a pandemic, sure, we'd have given you antigen tests six months ago. Um, so I think in time, the value of antigen tests will actually um, be low enough um, in, in the combat. That's my own view, uh, coming at it from a scientific background. But it was unfortunate wording. It caused a whole conversation around antigen tests, which is a good thing. It educated the public on it because it created a whole narrative out there sure and other people him. came out and um, maybe in the long run um, what he said might might actually be proven as right. Okay, okay. Interesting When the tribunal happens. When the tribunal happens. That tribunal, the almost inevitable tribunal. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael O'Regan. I'm giving it to Stephen Donnelly uh, for jumping on uh, in fairly fast to say he wouldn't be reading Richard Chambers' book on COVID. All right, OK. We actually have, I think, um, a clip now of when this came up. This was on prime time. And Miriam McCallan was putting uh, the take about Minister Donnelly uh, that came out of Richard Chambers' book to the minister. Um, here's the exchange. 
I was reading Richard Chambers' recently published book, A State of Emergency. In it, he gives the distinct impression from the people he spoke to that the Taoiseach lost confidence in you as his Minister for Health. And frankly, that you were bypassed, not just by the Taoiseach, but by Tony Houlihan as well. Do you agree with that and accept that? It, no, not at all. Of course I don't. And, you know, Richard's book, uh, I haven't read it. I won't be reading it. Uh, the bits I've seen are quotes from anonymous sources. He never came back to check or get any, any uh, response to them. Bits I've seen... Uh, certainly don't marry with my experience and the other, other experience of people who've been uh, through this. So, so I, I think it was disappointing. Um, yeah, I, just to say that Richard Chambers did respond to that again and said many, many hours of interviews with senior members of NEFIT, HSE and officials and ministers in government and said the minister in question was also asked personally through his and through his advisor for a follow-up interview. I have some he sympathy also, for yeah. uh, Stephen Donnelly, actually. Uh, at the risk of listeners uh, marching on RT this <laughs> evening, I have some sympathy for him in that he's in an impossible job. Health is, as Brian Cowan famously said anyway years ago, Angola. But health in a pandemic, you can't win as minister. And there's collective cabinet responsibility for anything done in terms of COVID. So I do have a lot of sympathy for the minister, but I have to say, when politicians say, I wouldn't read this, I don't read it. It's like politicians, I don't believe them. It's like politicians who say, opinion polls don't matter. The only opinion poll is Or when they say, that's the not what I'm getting on the doorstep. Precisely. That's, <laughs> in my, in that's my the great experience, when, when, when a journalist writes a book, the first thing politicians do is go to the back to <laughs> see are they in it? And then they skip to the page. Yeah, the yeah. old vanity kicks in. The, yeah. uh, go to the page with your reference yeah. in it. And that's probably all the pages of the books that are read. Probably cut out <laughs> and framed on the hall. I did, uh, one thing uh, that Richard did come back uh, the follow-up to your, the, the tweet that you read there, Katie, yeah, was yeah. Uh, just an emoji of a receipt to imply that he had records of asking the minister the questions that he said that he asked the minister and the minister hasn't responded to that at all. So I think as much as Stephen Donnelly's is a diss, I think Richard probably gave as good as he got in that exchange. OK, double dissing, double dissing. We like the double dissing. Uh, Paul? Yeah, you... I quite I quite enjoyed it. Uh, there's been a couple of contentious uh, exchanges in the doll this year. Um, one that I, I thought was great value for, for watching was Duncan Smith against the Healy Rays in, in February. It was in the convention centre. We have it. Let's have a listen to that. They said that we didn't understand working people. I said we didn't understand a carpenter coming to the house to have to fix a job. Well, I'm the son of a carpenter. I'm not the son of Fianna Fáil privilege. I'm millions and millions of euro. I remember as a kid in the 80s having to take any work going, hanging doors and fingers just to put uh, a roof over our head and food on the table. I remember that. I spent my teenage years working on sites filling skips today. Or are they driving their Mercedes into their big plant hire shops, walking past all their machineries worth hundreds of thousands to count all their money? Or to count up all their properties? You had your chance. You had your chance. Sit down, Deputy Chair. I did not. I did not come in. Whoa, Duncan Smith and full, full blasting there. It's got to be the winner, actually. No? <laughs> and it's always fun when you get the opposition going at each other. Uh, you know, exchanges across the doll government benches back to in the conventions idea you don't have government benches you have three tiers and you have some TDs up in the gods and you have journalists higher above them far away from anyone but it's always nice when you get the opposition having a go at each other in the doll because it's but so that it, it's felt like rare. there was genuine passion there that that was coming from a place not the usual punch and judy carry on 
Yeah, and I'm not going to suggest for a second that anyone in the doll would put on their outrage, but but yeah, that that did feel. And I suppose for a lot of people who connected with it, it because it it was real and it felt like a real lived experience that that I think does Duncan put out there. I think in the doll as well, it, 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 not to, to to pigeonhole the Healy Rays at all, but I did. But just it, it, it points towards something like that, that TDs come in and try to portray a certain image, not not just the Healy Rays, across different parties that they try to portray an image. But the reality is there's something very different behind that. And there's a, and a lot of times there's a lot of money and there's a lot of wealth behind um, who, who their, their public image. But that wealth was created by the family. They come from very, very, very modest background. I'm just going to turn to the Kerry jury now. Uh, <laughs> On behalf of the well, people of Kerry, may I say this? Duncan doesn't Katie. stand a chance. Yeah, no, now. you have to remain uh, you know, detached from it as, as the presenter. But uh, if you look at the history of the Healy Rays, the family, all that wealth has been accumulated by incredibly hard work from Jackie's grinding poverty in the 1930s. Uh, and really, really uh, terrible poverty because his father was an invalid and they lived in a small farm. And uh, and he but, went out to work as a, 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 at the age of 10, oh yeah. 11 or 12 yeah, or something. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Then went to the United States, came back, started to build up a business. And anything the Healy Rays have earned, they've earned it by sheer hard work. Now, I know, I know where Duncan Smith is coming from uh, that's, and he's a very, very impressive TD. Uh, was he not the director of elections actually for Labour? I think in, in he may have been. Uh, yeah, he in, was. In, he was. Yeah, in indeed, Dublin. Yeah. Uh, so he's very effective. <clears throat> but, um, but I think the Healy Rays kind of put or the portray the sort of trousers tied up with baler twine thing, which we yeah. all know isn't. Yeah, but every politician you know. that I've ever met, kid, portrays themselves in a light that garners the maximum votes. Ah, but Michael, Whether Michael, I think, I think, I think, day, I think you're Rays looking at that through rose-tinted glasses with the Healy Rays. Like, <laughs> and, and look, a lot of TDs have come up from, from nothing and be made a lot of themselves, but like they, they do put on an image that, you know, like you said, that, that, like I think uh, Kate was saying there, that their pants are tied by string. And at the same time, like Michael is the biggest landlord in the Dáil. He has, I don't know, what is it, 18 properties or something like that he's renting out. Like, you know, these are these are wealthy, wealthy men. Like they're, they're they're up there. They're part of the elite in society, and they portray themselves as these kind of, you know, the man of the people, which which they really aren't. But the people vote for them, Philip. They do indeed. Yeah. They are the men of those people. Mm. Uh, they vote <laughs> they're, for they're them in Michael's massive numbers. Massive Michael's numbers. people. Michael's <laughs> people. My people. Okay, uh, you get to uh, you get to call this, Michael. I think we might know uh, because uh, it was great theatre. Marvellous theatre and uh, provided a bit of a diversion. I think the Healy Ray one, yeah. Duncan Smith and the Healy Rays, yeah. Ooh, that's going to go down bad in Kerry. Are you going uh, home this Christmas? Uh, I just remembered basis, I, have, I have Santa's on, bells here On the basis of theatre, uh, <laughs> I think, Katie, rather than anything else. OK. OK, we'll take a break there and uh, we'll be back with uh, Minister of the Year after these. Email debate at rte.ie the Late Debate with Katie Hannan on RTE Radio 1. We just got a, a text in there uh, on the Dis of the Year. Also, Roderick O'Gorman to Healy Ray's on Climate Change Bill. Where were you? Making social media videos. Uh, OK, that was the Dis of the Year. Um, Minister of the Year. Um, this is a big award. Christina, who are you going to go for? Um, I actually chose Helen McEntee, um Justice Minister. Um, I know she has been... So she was hardly there for the yeah, year. Yeah, she, she was on maternity leave largely. But I just feel 
over the last number of years, the justice brief has constantly been in the news for all the wrong reasons. Um, you know, it, it, there always seems to be banana skins that that the ministers uh, tripping up on, and I just think that Helen, since she's taken over, has, you know, it's such a, it's kind of always known the department has been a bit dysfun- dysfunctional. You know, there's reviews of how it's going to be amalgamated and all the rest, and I just think she's kind of come in, you know, with a bit of fresh eyes on the on the place, and really, she seems to be absolutely you know, charging through the legislation every single week, there's some sort of new measure, um, you know, stuff that's been left on the shelf, I think, for a long time. So particularly uh, around women's issues, you know, there's the um, uh, the online, you know, um, image abuse, uh, revenge porn legislation that was sitting there since, I think, 2014, when Labour first started talking about it. Uh, you know, there's been numerous ministers since then constantly saying that, well, like, we don't know how to deal with it. You know, we'll take a look at it. And she literally came in and, you know, and within a couple of months, yeah. we've had that on the statute books. And there's been, you know, it's it's quite a rarity as well. Like last week, I think she had that um, that new measure for, um, you know, allowing people to stay on in, in Ireland, the, the new scheme. And she was applauded outside government buildings, you know. By Which was an extraordinary scene. I don't know if I've ever seen anything like it before, actually, yeah, so when she came out to the to the, uh, the the people outside who had gathered outside to, as you say, applaud her for that. OK, uh, Michael O'Regan, you agree? Yeah, I agree. I think Helen McEntee, so, uh, for two reasons, well, for a number of reasons. One is that she has navigated the Department of Justice, you know, which is a very difficult ministry. Uh, and she's done it very well. Also, she set a precedent for maternity leave for female politicians. And then she uh, gave the, um, you know, the amnesty to a whole, yeah, uh, to there, yeah. immigrants yeah. and their families. Uh, so overall, I think uh, I, I read her Minister of the Year. Yeah. yeah, and of course, she did, was asked the key question, do you have ambitions to yes. be a Taoiseach, <laughs> uh, to be party leader? And she sort of said, yeah. <laughs> well, I hope she's Kate. interested. Yeah. Um, like, I mean, she's done such a great job at being Justice Minister. And she's certainly very much um, in the mix now. Yeah. And um, it would be very, it would be great to see her as um, the first female Taoiseach, um, would it be? Um, <laughs> and uh, she's, she, like, I mean, she has, she was out for whatever many months, six, I don't know if she's five or six months or whatever, but she did make such an impact. Um, and and even actually the going law. out on maternity leave in itself has had a massive. <coughs> yeah. we'll and have, and we'll have a massive. Yeah, yeah. not yeah. just taking the couple of months or whatever, but to yeah. do. The I mean, Kate. I, Kate's view is interesting because Kate. I think the days and year of the choir boys will come to an end eventually. I presume. Oh, I need better that. look. I need better look. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's also interesting when we're discussing that to remember where we were last year uh, with with Helen McEntee because the the, the end of last year, November, December, was dominated with talk of Seamus Wolfe's appointment to the High Court. Uh, and, you know, that's all we, we were talking about. You know, we were kind of headed for a point point where Helen McEntee could have faced uh, a, a vote of no confidence in the Dáil. You know, we, we'd lengthy Dáil debates on this. And this year, it's been imp- almost impeccable. Um, co- passing Coco's Law, uh, the, the the undocumented immigrants' uh, support. But there's also a, a number of, of other uh, bits of legislation that she's managed to fly through this year. Mm. And then, you know, I think of that, that um, you know, the, the maternity, going out on maternity leave itself, such a 
strong statement for women in, in politics and for women who will come after her. But it was done with such certainty. There was no ifs or buts when she was asked about it. She said, yeah, I'm going to go and take my maternity leave as I'm, as I'm entitled to do. And there were, it, 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 wasn't a, it didn't become a big deal because she didn't make it a big deal. But it said so much, uh, particularly if you look at what Peter Burke is trying to do at, at local government level in, in terms of reforming maternity leave there. OK. You wanted to nominate somebody else that might be slightly more controversial. Yeah, well, I, I thought that Simon Harris has had a great year. Um, if, you know, Kate, you mentioned uh, Norma Foley in terms of keeping schools open or, or, or how, getting schools open. We got four, about 400,000 students have been back on site uh, for, for the good to the last six months. Um, no major issues there. The stakeholders seem to, to really like Simon Harris. And if, you know, you know, I was at a, a doorstep yesterday with Helen McEntee and Simon Harris and I asked them the question, are we looking at the next Fine Gael leadership race? And obviously both laughed and said they were happy to work together at the moment <laughs> at Cabinet. They're very, you know, very ambitious are. for their work. Indeed. There There is no Fine Gael leadership race. But if you were there's to... There's no vacancy, Paul. I don't know what there's, you're asking There's about. no vacancy, but there's always... Uh, an, there's I always think, a chance yeah, of a vacancy. Colin Brophy's had a good year too. I think as a minister for overseas, I mean, he, he's gained over, a, the budget thing is over one billion now for the first time. And I heard him on the radio during the week, uh, probably yesterday or the day before, I can't remember. But I mean, his understanding of that just sending vaccines on a truck to Africa isn't the solution. I mean, you need the health delivery system. And I was kind of very impressed listening to him on the radio. And I went, well, clearly he gets that it's not just about euros and billions. It's about delivering a healthcare system to the poorest countries. And it's so much more relevant now in light of what's going on at the minute. So I do think he's worth a shout out to him. I'm very, very proud of listening to him on the radio during the week. Kind of went, well, there's the fella that actually knows what he's on about today. So he had a very good year, I and think. He is, a, he's the guy they send out that tends to go out, uh, you know, when uh, yeah. there's a bit of heat around. And, uh, you know, he's the man you tend to, to see Miriam on Miriam Lord panels. had a great term for him. I can't remember. Was it, She said there was somebody making like loads of Colin Brophy's out of a machine or something. She had a great article one time <laughs> yes. uh, that properly described him but very experienced politician and it's great to see him in a ministerial uh, role. Philip? Um, I was going to say a joint award for Pascal Donoghue and Michael McGrath just as how much, how important they are to the coalition and how much that they have, um, you know, got a lot of big, big ideas through and things that may be conflicting as far as policy compared to Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, if there is any truly difference, probably not. But um, but they have got a lot of stuff true. But I am convinced by all the some of the others who have said Helen McEntee and and what she has done throughout the year and the things that she have been has got passed. Um, so I'll probably throw my hat in there as well. But I, as as a, a, a honourable mention, you should mention uh, Heather Humphreys as well, who stepped into the breach when she left and took on uh, essentially three departments in social protection, rural affairs, and justice for the course of that maternity leave. Okay. Uh, Michael, I think we all know where this one's going to go. Yeah, I mean, all those mentioned there are impressive, but it's Helen McEntee. Okay, Um, U-turn of the year. And we'll go, I'll just go through this quickly. I'm just watching the clock there and I want to get through all our our, uh, nominations. Um, You went for, again, we've mentioned it already. Yeah, it's a pawn gate. Uh, You can't get away from it. I went for Simon Coveney for his U-turn because the aforementioned interview with Brian Dobson uh, where he strongly defended the appointment of Catherine Sapone and uh, 
Then he did a bit of a U-turn later on and said, look, we have to look at the way these appointments are being made. And uh, he also revealed, of course, that he'd got a text message to say that uh, the party was on, but he had no interest in going. Anyway, he was abroad. I think he was very relieved that he had been abroad. Indeed. Indeed. Um, Paul? Yeah, I, I went for the antigen tests being made available to members of, of the Oireachtas. By the time the biz, Dáil Business that Committee must be, had that met... That must be the quickest U-turn we've yeah. ever seen. Yeah, by the time the, they had met, they were, everyone left the Dáil Business Committee that day under the impression that they were being made available to members of the, the Oireachtas. By the time it hit the, the floor of the chamber, the, the, the decision was that they weren't and that they were never war, even though the government chief whip, the government deputy whip and the Green Party whip wrote a letter to the Count Corla, which states that the decision had been made at the, the Dáil Business Committee. The Count Corla is adamant that the decision was never made at the Dáil <coughs> Business Committee. Um, Kate? Well, there's so many U-turns. I mean, you have the opening of the nightclubs, you have the always going forward with COVID and then you have the handbrake turn that Stephen Donnelly did on the working from home. Do you remember... One oh, morning yeah. we were all going back to work uh, in the office and by the evening, I think it was two hours later, um, it was work from home. So it has been. But I think the biggest one is, though, for me, it's the, the position on, of Sinn Féin on the North on abortion in recent days. Um, I'm just not going to give everyone a history lesson, but the abstention in the last vote and now for the first time ever in, I think, the last 48 hours, the majority of Stormont voting, um, to my mind, on the side of women's rights. So um, it's, a, it's a good U-turn for the women of Northern Ireland, I think, um, what's happened in recent days. Um, uh, Philip? Um, my U-turn was on Sinn Féin as well, and I think it is a seismic one, was their decision to change their stance on the Special Criminal Court, which um, is a, a non-jury court for trying terrorists and gangland leaders and gangland members and members of criminal organisations. And this is something that Sinn Féin have held on to for dear life for years and years because obviously members of the provisional IRA were tried with it and uh, successfully um, jailed and imprisoned because of their terrorist activities. And Sinn Féin denied the legitimacy of this court for years. But they, I think they've been shown, and I know they've been accused uh, many times of being uh, quote, not a normal party, but more and more they're showing that they are actually, in fact, a very, very normal party in that they'll just change their policies and do whatever it takes to, to, to get into power. Like any uh, other political party, whatever they say, you, you have to take with a pinch of salt because it's every chance they'll just change in the morning. As you said, like every other political party. Um, Christina? Yeah, I had to go with um, uh, Nefford basically saying that they never said that uh, schools were, were safe um, when pretty much that has been the mantra for the last year. I think parents up and down the country have been scoffing at that line that's been repeated time and time again. And then only recently there was the the controversy over, oh, well, no, we never actually said that um, when people then had to replay things and wheel out articles and, and quotes when that is exactly what's been said by Neffet and government over the last year. So I think parents will um, perhaps think that was the biggest U-turn for them. Right. Michael? Well, I'll give it to the antigen, antigen tests in the Dáil uh, because of the sheer speed involved. It was strangled at birth. <laughs> <laughs> it was. OK. Antigen tests. Um, 
uh, for politicians or for TDs, uh, which uh, were not uh, then going to be free. Uh, OK, relationship breakdown of the year. Um, we have, Philip, you went for one I think a lot of people remember, just the Michal Martin and Alan Kelly. Yeah, this is an interesting one. And I think it, it's, it's born about because the two of them had a, a quite a close and quite a good relationship and have done since before um, Michal became Taoiseach and, and since then. And it's it's been a constructive relationship throughout that, you know, Alan Kelly would try help out throughout the pandemic and try put him in touch with people that he felt um, could help out, whether it be and, and P- PPE or, or whatever. But uh, then there was this big falling out over... Uh, who said what in the doll? I, I don't know if you're playing the clip. Yeah, or... we have we have the clip, and this was uh, this was uh, after a, a private conversation mm. uh, in relation to. Um, just remind us, Philip, or just the private conversation in. There's so <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> what was it about? <laughs> <laughs> but everyone remembers what they said to each other. But I wonder how many people remember it, it was what the it was about. Derogation for for teachers <laughs> in terms of the, yeah, yeah. the clo- if there were close contacts of confirmed cases of COVID. Exactly, that was it. But this is what happened when um, Alan Kelly said what Tishik said, and Tishik said that's not what I said at all. First of all, Deputy Kelly, I've been in the house longer than you, yeah. and um, you learn something every day. You learn something new every day, and. I learned something about you yesterday that I will not forget and that will govern our relationship from here onwards uh, in terms of the nature of the engagements. I've never seen the likes of it before in terms of what transpired. And suddenly you come over here for a 30 or 40 second engagement, you scamper up, you tell your education correspondent who tweets something and it's reported as fact. It's extraordinary. Anyway, look, we leave it because I don't think the if public... If you want to call me a liar, call me a liar. I'm just putting it straight now. I've learned things. What's the difference between and I'm going to proceed. If you have... Look, I never... You're not denying those words. I am. Never said those words. But in any event, never said what you construed that I said. But it's a completely... And I said, I rang you afterwards to make it very clear to you how I regard the interchange. Oh, I love I, that clip. I, love I think <laughs> I think we all know how they were, he regarded the interchange and indeed how Alan Kelly regarded it at this stage. Um, Michael, you agreed that was one of the ones for you as well. Oh yeah, that was that. Th- th- there was a needle there, you know, a real needle between the two, and certainly in Michal Martin's part, uh, he could see that he was extremely angry about it, and he's not given generally to that kind of outburst in the doll, but uh, uh, the possibility of a Fianna Fáil Labour coalition after the next election, well. Mind you, time and the lure of office say, heals look, all. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've seen many coalitions we thought we wouldn't, we'd wouldn't, we never see. So uh, we won't rule anything in or out there. You also thought a Neffet and the government, um, that uh, falling out. Yeah, and it, I think that was that was sort of inevitable in a way, I think. There's, there is going to be... T- uh, this pandemic has created an enormous tension in society and among politicians. And there was always going to be some tension between Neffet and the government and let's go back even to Leo's uh, attack on Neffet uh, quite a, a while back now uh, early on. That was in the run up to last Christmas yeah, wasn't it? Yeah that's it that's yeah. a year ago uh, uh, but um, you know I, I, I think actually a healthy tension between the two is quite a good thing Yeah indeed uh, Paul you you also went for the Alan Kelly Micheál Martin yeah because I'm not sure that you could ever call Mark McSharry and the Taoiseach's relationship a, a loving one to begin with so Mark McSharry leaving the, the Fianna Fáil parliamentary party probably wasn't 
uh, that much of a surprise. This one, I think Michael hit on it there. It's that there was a, a proper needle there. And one thing that we always notice, particularly in the examiner, is that the more, uh, I suppose, the more rattled the, that the Taoiseach gets, the more cork he gets, the thicker the cork <laughs> accent. Uh, and in that one, he's he's kind of a, a seven out of ten on, on the Pana scale. Yes. Uh, Kate? Um, well, it had a, an air of sort of, you know, the only only thing he had to say was, oh, I'm very disappointed in you, Alan. Um, you know, it had had that air about it. I'm sure they'll get over it if, if the seats add up for whatever they desire. And um, for me, it's a slaunch account, the Department of Health breakdown that happened a number of months ago, um, which I think in time will become a significant thing. We're all just so worn out with everything. But the fact that um, a cross-party... Um, committee voted on a certain trajectory for healthcare in Ireland for a ten for a decade, and of which I think we're about three and a half years into it, and that that all just kind of was dissolved and thrown into the bin, really, um, through the course of a pandemic, and it really has, to my mind, undermined that whole plan and the whole point of that plan. It was supposed to be separate to the department. It was supposed to act on a tangent of it. And really now, as far as I'm concerned, it's all mashed into one. And the, the resignations there, I think it was over the summer, was it? Was it over? I think it was over the summer. Of all those significant people who have gone off about their business is very regrettable. And I think, you know, we'll pay for it in the future in terms of our healthcare planning. Um, but definitely in terms of entertainment, um, the Mihal and Alan one is uh, gold. Right. Um, one last one. And you mentioned it, Paul, I think. And you also mentioned the fact that the Taoiseach tends to get more cork as, uh, as tensions rise. Uh, was the um, the one uh, the row between Michal Martin and Danny Healy Ray? Yeah, and and they've made good sparring partners uh, the last year, uh, and really really uh, interesting. The the other day, uh, the t- the T-shirt was uh, he kind of spars with the rural independents a lot. The other day, he was forced to defend bananas uh, in the face <laughs> of an attack by by Manny McGrath. So the, Danny Healy Ray and Michael Healy Ray have made really really good. Uh, okay, well, I, well let's have a quick listen to this one. It's not good enough through the chair that you would say something that's untrue. Well, and you should withdraw it. Well, you disprove me so it's wrong. Because others are right so, and so I didn't write it. You can't come in here and make up everything every day. I didn't make it up. You did make Any it up. Day. You made that, it up. That's unfair about I will not. To say that I'm making up things here every day. You just day. did. I came in here about three hours You today. just did. Did I make it up? Yes. I made up about Tilly and General Laffel. No. No, you made up about the quotation in relation to the reduction of national heritage. You, you said that I was coming in here, here every day. With all that remark, Tisha, because that's, that's totally and absolutely unfair. Every, every time Danny Healy Ray has a row with the establishment, does Danny Healy Ray a lot of good? I'm oh, yeah. sure it, it does. picks up votes, but the, that, that, you know, to go back to what we said or what I just said there, you just did the way that the, the Taoiseach said it is pure cork. Pure, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, pure cork. Pure distilled cork. You just did. <laughs> <laughs> um, Michael, who will we give the relationship uh, breakdown of the year to? Yeah, for sheer theatre, I suppose, uh, Michal Martin and Alan Kelly. Ratio. Okay, that one. Uh, now we have two categories to go. So I'm going to spin very quickly through the next one, which was Brass Neck of the Year, because I want to get to our Politician of the Year award. So Brass Neck of the Year. Um, you, uh, again, Simon Coveney, during that interview, we have already uh, gone over that. Uh, 
Ad Finanita. That was your one, Christina. Simon Coveney doing that uh, RT interview with yeah, well, uh, Dobbs, uh, Brian Dobson. I kind of had a joint one between Simon Coveney and uh, Catherine Sapone. So I suppose we've we've talked about Simon Coveney's interview there with Brian Dobson, but maybe to focus on Catherine Sapone on, on this side, um, I suppose the brass neck of, of some of the text messages of, um, do you know... Do you know anyone in the US? You know, can you put me in contact here? And, you know, just the... That's called networking, Christina. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, fair play. But um, and then also, I think just the the sheer radio silence that she played throughout the whole thing. Um, You know, as Paul said, in New York, people we were searching for to see if we could just get her reaction to what was going on. But she just literally went underground and uh, no matter how much questioning, texts, uh, emails, there was just no comment and there there really hasn't been one. There hasn't been, indeed. Uh, you also, Paul, went for Catherine's opponent there. Uh, you, uh, Kate, had a good one, uh, which I think a lot of people might agree with. Boris. Yes, um, Boris Johnson, um, between the gold wallpaper for the children's bedrooms or whatever it was, they must be far more civilised than what I have at home. He seems to want to out-PR the virus. Um, he thinks she's smarter than the virus. And um, he, he, I think he's definitely adopted the, the policy of, well, de- the dead don't vote. Yes, um, so so um, I think he's ploughing his way through COVID um, or through a pandemic and it hasn't worked out for him and um, it'll be very interesting how it plays out for him in the long run. Okay. He I, seems he seems to just be Teflon. I don't know how he gets away with it, but he does. I think it's called the first past the post system, which is helping him uh, enormously. And I know you wanted to bring in Kieran Cuff because of that uh, very controversial letter uh, telling banks that they shouldn't be lending to young farmers. But we're, we, I just need uh, you to call it for us there. Kieran Cuff, Simon Coveney, uh, Catherine Zappone, Boris Johnson. I think we'll go across the sea, Boris Johnson. Boris gets Brass Neck of the Year Award. Now, I'm going to take a very quick ad break and we'll come back and do the uh, Politician of the Year, the Potty Award. The Late Debate with Katie Hannan on RTE Radio 1. So now we are at our prestigious Politician of the Year Award. Do we have that drum roll up there? (laughs) Michael, who are you nominating? Uh, Mary Lou MacDonald. You know, uh, the polls tell it all. Sinn Féin's lead in the polls, which is quite astonishing. If If you look at the way things were a few years ago, and her performance in the thought. Philip? Yes, similarly so. Like, look, if you're going to judge a politician, and the only metric for judging political success is popularity, isn't it? And Philip Ryan, are you nominating <laughs> Mary Lou MacDonald I as politician look, of the year? How else are you going to measure uh, success in politics other than popularity? And say what you like about Mary Lou MacDonald and Sinn Féin, they are like they are look a cynical political opposition party, and if anybody thinks back to any of the other parties in opposition, they're similarly cynical. Obviously, they've got the baggage of uh, do you know their strange yeah. attitude to murder and mayhem, uh, which is unusual in Irish politics in 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 this half of the the century anyway. But look. She's gone from, what is it, 22% or 23% in the general election to 35% in the last opinion poll. 
Okay, I have to call. Can't I have argue to, with that. Can't I never argue thought with that. I'd see the day. I yeah, never I know. I'd see the day there, Philip. But, Are you being um, pick, picked up off the floor there, Christina? Yeah, I know. He's oh, no, <laughs> resuscitated. Can I get your nomination quickly, Christina? We're nearly out of time. Mary Lou MacDonald. Paul? Yeah, I had nominated Helen McEntee, but like you said, if you're at 37% in the polls, it has to be Mary Lou MacDonald, doesn't it? Kate? I just have to nominate Ivana Batchik for the by-election in Dublin Bay never as involved in a campaign we're over time uh, Michael call it uh, Mary Lou MacDonald is the late debate politician of the year and that's all we have time for uh, for tonight and indeed uh, for this year we have a special programme looking back at our late diversions next Tuesday but for now thank you to all my guests uh, through the year thank you for listening and for taking part in the show the producer tonight was Brian Lally research was by Andrew Fleming broadcast coordinator was Elaine Conlon and Harry Buckless was on sound. Up next, Colin Murray with Late Date. But first, we'll hand over to Siobhan Madigan on the sports desk.